text 51551. The Ray Darcy Show on RTE Radio 1. Now, our next guest has a, a mad story from Maguire Bridge in Fermanagh to pit stops of the Formula One circuit all over the world to punditry on Sky Sports. Um, that's Bernie Collins' story so far, in a nutshell. Good afternoon, Bernie. Good afternoon, Ray. Someone else after your job. <laughs> you're, you're at, oh, that man, or you, yeah. or every, everybody. Both of us. <laughs> How are things? Yeah, good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, good. Uh, f- fascinating. So, M- Maguire Bridge is a tiny enough place, is it? Yeah, it's a small town in, in Fermanagh. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's a world away from, from the F1 circuit. Uh, yeah, uh, and obviously limited experience or exposure to Formula One in Maguire Bridge when you were growing up? Yeah, I think, you know, like a lot of us, you watched it on TV, but you didn't really see it as a world that you could enter into or you didn't really think about entering into it. You've seen the drivers, but you didn't necessarily see all the engineers around it. So it's definitely not something I envisaged doing when I was was growing up or going to school. Mm. Uh, And then out of school, you did mechanical engineering. Yes, in Queens. Yeah. Uh, my brother did that as well in UCD, you know, before, a long time before you. But I remember, I think there were only two girls in the whole yeah. year at that stage. Yeah, yeah. Back in the late 70s. Oh, in ours, was it wasn't too bad. It was about 10% maybe when I finished in Queens. With 10% the mechanical women? Engine. Yeah. 10%, yeah, but that's roughly. still low, isn't it? Yeah, it's very low compared to, you know, what we have doing mathematics or something like that. Yeah, so that's why we still need to go after the getting girls into STEM subjects For in, sure. in school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And why did you choose mechanical engineering? Because I didn't know what else to do. All right. um, <laughs> I did it because I really enjoyed math and physics at school. And I think when you're at school and you're that age, you're sort of unsure what the whole world of work looks like. So I just kept choosing subjects that I really enjoyed and thought, well, hopefully I'll enjoy the job that comes out of it. I didn't know anything about engineering. I didn't really yeah. have any peers that did engineers or anyone in the family. But I, it, I knew it used a lot of math and physics so I thought that's that's fine. It, it is a reminder though that you know because you know that's coming up now for people here down down the south the CAO forms. Yeah. That that a lot of people just stumble into things. They don't yeah, really, I, go on. No, I was just going to say I think if you just follow subjects you enjoy that's, yeah, then yeah. you should come out with a job that you enjoy and and it's okay not to know the answers. There's lots of kids that do know exactly what they want to do but mm. but lots don't and that's okay. I'm just going to tell people what you do, what you did do and what you do now. Um, so you were a, a strategist for McLaren, Racing Point and Aston Martin. Uh, and since you've retired as a strategist, you're now a pundit for Sky Sports on their motor racing, particularly their their, their Formula One racing. Um, so, so again, how did you get into Formula One? So you did the degree in mechanical engineering. Yeah, I did did mechanical engineering and then in the last few years of engineering, which a lot of people in engineering will be familiar with, there was a Formula Student Programme. So we built a little single-seater race car and we raced it against other universities. Um, It happens, countries from all over the world get involved, but we bring it over to Silverstone. We race it two weeks after the Grand Prix over there and that was my first sort of insight to motorsport. It was my first idea that wow, this could be possible or something I should consider. And then off the back of that, I applied to the McLaren graduate scheme, leaving university and lucky enough to get onto that scheme. And it sort of went from there. So it's a bit weird to have left uni and my whole working life has been an F1 rather than the other way around. And many people would have applied for that graduate training programme with McLaren. 
oh, I'd imagine there was hundreds at that time. You yeah. know, it's very highly sought after people trying to get into F1. At the time, a lot of the F1 teams didn't actually have graduate programs, but McLaren was one that did. Um, they only took on two people that year in the um, F1 graduate side of things. So, yeah, it was, you know, really special to be part of that scheme and to be fit to, it's really, you know, a lot of the opportunities have come after that, have come from that sort of turning point. And, and, and did you got any idea what the job description would be? Did you do any research? Did you ask them or did you speak to anybody who'd been there before? <laughs> I hadn't spoken to anyone that had been there and like we sort of went, I remember me and actually another guy from uni went over to do the, the interview and we got into McLaren and we thought, wow, if we just see you around, that's fine. You know, we'll go home happy if we never get yeah. a job because we've got in and seen the place. So it was just so far removed, I guess, from what we'd been used to or grown up with or whatever. Um, but no, I didn't, because I'd done the former student thing and we'd built this car and designed it, I knew some of the elements that went into mm. it. But I guess for any young person from uni going into any big company, massive company, you're not really sure how all the departments work together or how it's going to be nine to five day to day. So it was a big learning thing. But I guess one of the positives come out of it is any graduate scheme that you do in any walk of life that you're working in, it's a real good introduction to the company. You get to see different departments. You get like different experiences rather than just going into a full time job. Yeah, Formula One is unlike working for Ford or Hyundai or somebody like that in that it's condensed. Yeah. The, the, you're sort of building one or one or a handful of cars as opposed to a production line of cars, isn't that it? Yeah. So, so it's very intense, is it? Yeah, it's, it's massively intense and there's big demand on the hours that you put in or the weekends that you work or whatever the case may be. But part of me really enjoyed that. As a young engineer, you went into the design, you know, initially went into the design office at McLaren. You go into the design office, you design something, a small part of the car. But literally three or four weeks later, it's on the car going right. around the track. So your feedback loop of whether you've done a good job or a bad <laughs> job is pretty quick. Um, so that's really, you know, encouraging as a young engineer, I thought. And would that have been a combination of fixing and improving? Yeah, a lot of that and a lot of looking at faults that happened the week before and trying to design around them or looking at things that have been done wrong in the past. And when you start out, obviously, you've got like these small projects and loads of encouragement from other engineers around you because you are working as one team. It's not mm. like political like other industries. You, the whole team needs to succeed. So there was, I felt, a lot of support in those sort of early days as well. And were you unique in that you're a woman? Definitely at the beginning, you know, in the design office at McLaren, I don't think there was any other women in design. Even when I started with um, Force India, as it was then in the race team, when I was going racing, apart from girls in catering or marketing, you were the only female on the engineering team and the only female sort of travelling on maybe a flight full of lots of engineering teams. But it has got better over the years. Um, but definitely at the beginning, I stood out. And how was that for you? Um, do you know what? You just get used to it. I don't even think it was really, I just didn't even really think about it at the start. I'd went from this engineering degree, well, I went from school that was an all-girls school right. to this engineering degree that mainly was men. mainly men. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was a, that was a big step. But, you know, I didn't really, I don't know, nobody ever really told me it was a man's job, so it was fine. And then I went to McLaren and again, I didn't really think, of, I didn't think about being this low numbers. Obviously, I get asked a lot about it now in mm. hindsight, but I didn't think about it. And I think... Um, Real advantages at times, you know, if we think of the simple things on the pit wall, when you're a lot going on in terms of communication, I'm the only female voice and the only uh -huh. female Northern Irish voice. So I cut through mm. a lot of other, a lot of other arguments. Uh, and Bernie, the pit wall is, 
they're the offices behind the, the pit. Is that it? Yeah, so the ones that you can see sort of on TV that the cars go past and do their pit stop in front of and stuff. So there's maybe seven, eight people on that wall making the so decisions. So you're looking out onto the pit and onto the yeah. track, right? Yeah, okay. exactly. And you're calling things. You're you're calling change of tyre. You're calling a pit stop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm deciding when we do our pit stops, what tyre we fit and doing that for both cars and the team. Right. And who do you call it to? So you call it to the race engineer. So there'll be a race engineer for one driver generally on your left and then another one on your right. So you're calling it to whichever of the drivers, that, whatever yes. the race engineer you want, and they're passing it on to the driver. Right. And, and can the driver hear you? Can you hear the driver? I can hear the driver. Um, most people in the team can hear the driver, but the driver can't hear me. But um, I imagine he knows the conversation's coming from my direction when he knows it's about a pit stop or what we're going to do with tyres. Right. So, so you've all this data in front of you, the, yeah. like like weather conditions, average speed of of the track, uh, and you have you all the information about your competitors as well as as your own drivers. Yeah, we've got a whole host of information. We've got all of our own lap times. We've got GPS from us and others, where they are on track, where we are. All the weather information, like you say, all the videos. You've got onboard videos for all the cars. And you've actually got the radio from all the other cars as well. So what all the other drivers are being told. Um, Some processed by me at the track and some processed by the factory. So yeah, a lot of of information. It's like one of those word problems for maths that we all hate. Yeah. <laughs> if your car is travelling at 50 miles an hour and <laughs> exactly. car X is travelling at... It's like that, but with like a whole lot more, a lot more shouting maybe involved, yeah, like someone yeah, shouting yeah. a maths problem at you, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's because it isn't like the speed and, and what's the average, the average, average uh, lap time? So like an average lap was about a minute. I right. think the shortest one's 50 seconds. Okay. The longest is a minute 30. So if you think of two cars, you're because you're looking after two cars, you're trying to make a decision for each one within that. So you're making decisions in every 40-ish seconds, thereabouts. Wow. Uh, so has anybody ever put a heart monitor on people working in? Yeah, that, <laughs> we have done that actually. Yeah, we, done yeah. it, we done it a few years ago. They were getting into sort of the science behind, you know, what we should be eating or drinking or all these sorts right. of things. Um, and particularly for me and my manager at the time, because you're working in both cars, you could actually see from our heart rate when the pit stops happened. So you could see from the heart rate how many stops we did in that race and the start of the race was a big peak as well. So it was um, yeah. real interesting to get your heart rate that high when you're sitting down is quite impressive. But it is fascinating though about how your heart rate affects decision making then, yeah. wouldn't it be? Because then yeah. if, if your your heart rate increases and you make a decision, is that, is that a flawed decision or is it a better decision or what? We do loads of prep. So like, even if we have an accident at the start of the race, we've already generally prepped Prep what we will that. do in that uh-huh. situation. Yeah, so we do loads of preparation. We've got a load of support from the factory. Um, we call it mission control, but we've got a load of support from those guys. And the idea is they're not on the pit wall, so they're not here in the cars or too hot or too cold or whatever the case may be. So hopefully they can make decisions in a more rational way. Do you get, a go, do you get a go in the car? No, no, never. Never. I got to go. I got to go in the simulator once, and that right. was highly embarrassing because I couldn't fit in the driver's seat because he's a lot smaller than I was. Right. Uh, so you've worked with uh, Jensen Button, Sebastian yep. Vettel, um, Checo with the long name Sergio something something something. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm wondering what makes a great driver. You know, you've worked with a lot of them. Yeah. Is, is, is did you spot something that that you know they all have? Well, if we think just from a strategy point of view, I think a lot of them 
are very um, brave, let's say. You know, when you think of driving your own car, if it's a bit slippy or something, you don't go as hard at the next mm. corner, potentially. They do. They just go the same the next corner and hope for the best, I think. There's a lot of that in being a fast driver. But in being a good driver, from a race point of view, they really understand the rules. They understand the implications of one driver pitting a bit earlier than them or what the track position makes. So from a strategy side, those ones that can really paint the picture of the rest of the cars in the race by watching the TV go by or whatever, those are the ones that can do really well from a racing point of view. They have to trust you, don't they, with their lives, literally. They do, though, and, and that's quite serious. That's a, that's a huge responsibility. Yeah, it's a massive thing and you have to work on it a lot. You know, It's like any relationship, you have to work on it a lot. You have to work on, you get to a point where they say something in the car and you understand or sometimes they've got high pressure so they say something in the heat of the moment and you have to sort of understand what they mean and what where they're coming from. And you spend a lot of time almost in counselling afterwards going through what decisions were made and why, what you would change if you did it again. So you sort of build up this mm. over time where they understand where you're coming from and you understand them. And hopefully you don't make too many bad decisions. Yeah, because I was interested about the decisions and then the debriefing yeah. uh, like is, is there a, a black box situation is there a recording of everything that's said in the pit yeah there is okay yeah, yeah. so there's an often a lot of times where because you're saying you know high blood pressure or high heart rate yeah. heat of the moment all those things often what you think you said and what you actually <laughs> said are different so the amount of times I've had to go back and listen to something and say oh yeah actually maybe I didn't phrase that as strongly as I did, could have or maybe I said something that could have been mm. misunderstood whatever so there's a lot of a lot of analysis happens after the event and everything's recorded so there's no getting away from yeah. he said, she said. Well, maybe that'd be good for life if we all had <laughs> <Yeah>. a bl- <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> I'd spend a lot of time doing analysis and not too much time living, I imagine. That, well, that's, that's, a fair, that's a fair assessment. Although sometimes you do, you just be great if you had that conversation, that one conversation, just that uh, you did say that. Yeah, um, I'm a huge fan of uh, Formula One for many years, but I don't like how they've reduced the noise of the engines. In the past, mm. I've attended circuits and it's mind blowing. I recommend anybody to put a Formula One race on your bucket list. It's brilliant. Uh, So they're quieter and this person has a problem with that. Yeah, they are quieter because I think the older engines, you could really, you could almost feel them coming towards you, you know, and it was a real emotion like within you. You could feel the sound build up as it got towards you and you can hear the gear shifts and accelerating through the corner and stuff. It was visceral. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now they're a lot quieter. Many reasons, you know, we're trying to move more in the sustainability world. So it uses more battery power. It's um, more relevant to the engine you have in your car, although still Mm. very different. So it's, it's trying to become more relevant and part of that has reduced the noise. Just on technological advances uh, mm-hmm. in every under, other industry, including our own, we're talking about uh, artificial intelligence. I would mm-hmm. imagine with all that data, yeah. that artificial intelligence could bring an awful lot to Formula One racing. Oh, yeah, it's getting to the point where, you know, the ultimate goal is I'm on the pit wall making a decision for my car and the computer's playing chess against me. So it's saying, whenever you make that move, this is what we think everyone else is going to do. And that's the point of sort of getting to a strategy where you're fit to forward predict what the others might do based on what they've done in the past or what their driver's like or all of these things. So it is really, it's it's lagged behind maybe other industries a little bit in that so far, but it's really getting there now, I think. But that's an, an extra layer in, in, in yeah. when you have to make very quick decisions. That's an, 
does, is not, not going to delay the decision-making <laughs> process. I think initially it's it's going to take a bit of time for them to get in there, but um, they can build these models really quickly and I right. think we can get to learn it really quickly. So it's it's going to be exciting, I think, going forward. So so, so you, you hung up your strategist hat or, yeah, or boots. my headset. Or, yeah. Your headset, yeah, sorry, your headset. Uh, and now, as I say, you're a, a pundit for Sky and for, for Formula One as well. Uh, why, do you mind me asking, did you... Because it sounds like a really exciting, fulfilling career you had there. Yeah, no, I and I loved being on the pit wall. I loved making the decisions. Like you become like an adrenaline junkie, so you enjoy getting on the pit wall on Sunday. That's your time. You really make a difference to the race. Um, but we ended up doing, you know, this twenty-four race season that we're doing this year. That's half of the weekends you're not at home. When you're doing triple headers, you sort of get to a point where you're back in the house after three weeks wondering why you've paid your mortgage that month, that Mm. type of thing. So it just got to a point where I thought I could do this for the next 10, 15 years and it would, you know, it would be fine. But I'd be be repeating the last 10 years of my life and I feel like I've done it and marked it and, you know, done okay at it. So let's give something else a try. And I thought worst case, I'll end up reapplying for my job again. But it was a good opportunity. And that's, that's why the step away came was just a chance to have a bit more life and a bit less of just on the treadmill every year. Yeah, you've done it. You've done it. Yeah. I, I, it's, I suppose, it's, is it a young person's career? It is and it isn't in that there's many, many people, you know, I loved it, especially when I was a bit younger. You would do all the holidays around it. You would stay out after the races. You're living life like you're 21, mm. definitely. But there are a lot of people that are there that have been there for, you know, much, much longer than I have. And they be- sort of become ingrained in them. They, they will probably ne- never, ever leave it. And I yes. think I was at the point where I needed to decide which way to go. I was either going to be a lifer or take the opportunity to do something different and it's funny because I took the opportunity to do something different but now I'm actually still doing very much the same or similar things. Yeah, and you're doing it on camera so yeah. you were very much behind the scenes uh, yeah. and, and now you're out there in the public eye. Yeah. Uh, how has that transition worked for you? I think the transition's been interesting because I sat on the pit wall for so long and I watched the TV feed come in or I heard it come in but I didn't really think about what went into doing it. I didn't understand like loads of the terminology that you use in the media or whatever. I knew a lot of the presenters from travelling with them or being on the same flights or whatever Mm. so that bit was easy and I know the topic because I've worked it for so long so that bit was easy but you know knowing which camera to look at or where to stand or how to hold the mic or all these things I've had to learn um, or you know which language I use or um, how opinionated to be so there's been many things that I've, I've been trying to learn along the way but it's been real interesting to see to sort of step back and see the whole pet lane again whereas before you're so focused on your one little bit and now I can look over all of it and um, begin to appreciate some of the things that maybe because you've been travelling for eight or nine years you, you lost sight of. And you have you have the replay as well, which is always great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. What, and what about because once you go on camera, people have opinions about about you. Yeah. Uh, and has has that all been good or? Well, I guess one thing is a great opportunity actually to say, and I'm, I'm glad you asked the question. Is the support from home has been amazing. I get more messages than I can <laughs> keep on top of from Irish people, Northern Irish people that are glad to hear an Irish voice on the air or glad of, you know, just someone, I guess, that represents them a bit more. Mm. Um, so the support, you know, I, I 
can't be thankful enough for the support I've had from from Ireland as a whole. It's been really, really great. Um, you obviously get the negatives. You get the uh, why is your hair look like that? Whatever the case may be, but you have to you have yeah. to park that, you know. Um, and we're only doing what we can do. And I'm I'm not there to look good on the camera. I'm there to bring an engineer's point. And I guess one thing that's really been interesting is you sort of feel when you step away from pure engineering that your respect in the pit lane may drop a bit because you're not doing the engineering role anymore. But the number of engineers still in the pit lane that have come to me and said that they're really glad the engineers' views been res- you know, mm. represented, you know, positively, engineering as a whole, hopefully has been represented reasonably well or as well as I can. So it's it's the the overwhelming majority has been really positive so far. A few that are struggling with the accent, but we'll, you know, uh, it is what it is. That's <laughs> fine. Uh, and, and obviously a brilliant role model for, for young girls who are considering engineering, particularly mechanical engineering as a, as a career choice. Um, Brian has been on. I'm a Formula One fanatic. I love Bernie on the uh, Formula One panel. Unbelievable strategist. So there you go. <laughs> the reviews are in and they're all yeah, good. Yeah, that's good. Thank uh, you. So, so Bernie, lovely talking to you. Um, when does the season start or has it started? Is it Bahrain is the first one? Yeah, testing starts this week. So there'll be a lot of what can we tell from testing, but we can't really tell anything until um, next weekend. Next uh, Friday actually is going to be qualifying. And that's when we know how the okay. season's going to go. And I know there's a lot more fans now because of the Netflix uh, documentary yeah. series. Who should people be watching out for this year, this season? Oh, this season? Oh, that's a good question. But I think you've got to look out for it. Let's see what Lewis can do as last year Mercedes and let's see what McLaren can do because they were on the up and up last year. Right. What age is Lewis Hamilton now? Um, Just over 40, maybe. Right. And is, is he would he be coming close to the end of his career? Well, this is the debate. The debate is now with F1 and modern technology if the end of the career is very different to what it was a few years ago. You know, Alonso's older than Lewis and still going from strength to strength, it seems. And I think if Lewis gets a big enough challenge, he'll be very exciting. He's 39, I'm told. 39, there 39. you go. I've, I've aged him, haven't I? <laughs> yes, just avoid him because he always <laughs> listens to this show. OK, uh, Bernie Collins, thanks very much. Thanks, Bernie. Lovely talking Thank to you. Thank you for having bye me. Bye, 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 bye. The Ray Darcy Show on RTE Radio 1.